Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 32 of the Print Design Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thanks for being here. As you know, this show is for you graphic designers who are interested in print, who love print, who hoard print, who just enjoy print, all of those things. And this episode is an absolute cracker, an absolute banger. Today, my guest is Mr. Benjamin Berry, ladies and gentlemen. This is a brilliant conversation where we dive deep into two different projects. The first one is the magazine and booklet that I also talked to Tim Bellinax about in episode 25 of the Print Design Podcast. We get a different angle, a different perspective on it, and some screen sharing stuff, which is pretty cool. The second project we talk about is sort of contrasting the first project. The first one that Tim talked about as well, it's got lots of special effects, had a really short timeline, had a bunch of people throwing at it. The second one is the is the opposite. Like I said, it was over a year of design and planning and um, development and content creation and all of these things. And, you know, I, I don't even want to tell you what it is just because it's so fantastic. And I found that the quality in the print and the paper choices and the process of the design really aligned with what the second book was about, the theme of it. Um, so I'm not going to tell you what that is yet. I'm going to let Ben explain all of this. And this is a long episode and it is fantastic the whole way through. So let's just get to it. Let's get into it, ladies and gentlemen. My fabulous guest, Mr. Ben Barry. Cue the music. Welcome to the Print Design Podcast, the show where we talk about all things print and packaging. We go behind the scenes with designers and talk about the print projects they designed that really rock their world. From file prep to holding the finished product in their hand and all the key decisions in between. So let's talk ink on paper. Hey, Ben, welcome to the Print Design Podcast. How are you, sir? I am doing well. How are you? I'm doing terrific. Are you excited to get into print? Oh, always. <laughs> <laughs> Good. That's what I love to hear. Awesome. Well, I want to start the show off by just kicking it over to you and asking, um, you know, who are you, man? Tell us about yourself. Uh, my name is Ben Barry. I'm a visual designer. Uh, I've been working for since... Professionally, well, graduated in 2007, um, worked at a tiny little design studio in Austin, Texas, my first uh, year out of school um, that was called the Decoder Ring, doing a lot of like music show posters, music packaging, bar and restaurant identities, That's cool. um, all the kind of like fun, sexy graphic design I wanted to do as a student. Yeah. And then after about a year of doing that job, uh, well, I guess I should preface this way saying I've always been kind of a, a technology nerd, play, you know, in high school, started building websites. That's kind of how I got into design. Um, 
knew I didn't want to do computer science because I didn't really care for math in high school. So I ended up studying graphic design in college, okay. uh, but always sort of had this like undercurrent of just like fascination with science and technology. And, and so I was really early adopter on sort of the internet, really active online, um, you know, in the late nineties, early two thousands. And, uh, and so when Facebook launched while I was still in college, I was like immediately on it. Um, and then, you know, I was working at this job in Austin, Texas. And, uh, and one night I log into Facebook uh, and there was a targeted advertisement in my news feed saying Facebook is hiring designers. And I, I liked the product. I, I got a lot of utility out of the product, but I did not think very highly of their visual aesthetic. Um, but I was intrigued and I, I didn't really, I, I knew who Mark Zuckerberg was at that point because of the newsfeed controversy. Uh, but <laughs> when, when they launched newsfeed, it was like kind of a big, um, they had to do a little bit of, you know, their, their <laughs> back step. And anyway, I, uh, but I didn't know like how big the company was, where it was located, anything like that. So I clicked on the link and I started reading. And as I was like reading, I was just like, this, this seems like a really just like interesting opportunity, completely different from what I thought I was going to, you know, would be doing. Yeah. And, uh, and so I just kind of applied that night on a whim. I wasn't looking for a job. I was like super, I had gotten my dream job coming out of school and it just something in, you know, just kind of like tickled my brain. I was like, this just seems, let's just like see what this is about. And, uh, all my like friends and mentors and classmates from school were just like, I think really confused. One of my mentors, uh, he didn't say this at the time, but after the fact he was like, I mean, he, he sort of counseled me not to go to Facebook, but he told me several years later, he's like, I thought you were committing career suicide. Uh, <laughs> and so anyway, uh, in 2008, I went to join the Facebook design team um, as one of their first communication designers and, uh, and worked there for five and a half years. Um, I mean, at, from just to give some perspective, 2008, uh, when I joined MySpace is still bigger than Facebook in terms of number of users. Yeah. Um, and you know, no one was comparing Facebook to Google. My parents didn't know what Facebook was at the time. Yeah. Uh, so it was still like, it was kind of just at the beginning of that like exponential growth. Um, yeah, I was going to ask in that 2008 time when you joined, like, what kind of staff volumes are we talking about, like within Facebook? Like, I think there were around f- somewhere between four and five hundred people uh, at the time. So it was, yeah. uh, you know, like for me, it was like, whoa! I was going from a you know studio of like four people <laughs> uh, to to this to this you know what to me was a giant corporation um it still had a i mean very kind of like this startup collegiate vibe at the time so when i left five and a half years later i want to say the company size was somewhere between six and eight thousand employees wow and like we had this like internal kind of like version of facebook where you could look up anyone in the company you know say like who, who is the person I need to meet with or whatever. And one of the things that was on your like internal profile was your start date and then your like percentage, uh, how long you've been at the company relative to everyone else. And I think by the time I left, I was like in the high 90, you know, 90 
five plus percentage, you know, longer than like all the other employees at Facebook. Wow. So it's pretty crazy. Wow. Yeah, okay. So the, the rapid growth and experiencing that. It's a huge growth. Like it's, it's unbelievable the amount of growth and hiring that would be going on around you at that time. And going to the design team specifically, when you joined that design team, what, how many staff was there? Like what was the growth of just strictly the design team? Uh, so it was sort of, um, at the time design was, well, basically like my, the group that I joined, um, kind of like formed more or less, you know, a few months before I started. Um, and, uh, we ended up, uh, that, that team was called the communication design team. And then, uh, there was the product design team. And so that was sort of like these two, uh, focuses within under the umbrella of design at the time, they've completely restructured the whole organization now. Um, and I'm not totally familiar with everything, but yeah. at the time that was the case. And, and so, uh, Ben Blumenfeld or, uh, his name is not Ben Bloomrose, um, uh, was tasked. He was a product designer. He was tasked with starting the communication design team and, and another product designer came over Eric Giovanola to join that team. And then they hired three more people, uh, myself, Mark Bixby and Erica Tigbach. And we all started within Mark started one week before us and Eric, uh, Everett and I started on the exact same day. Um, and so the team, you know, was kind of like basically formed, you know, they had, they had had some like sort of marketing designers earlier on. Okay. Um, but there had never, I don't, I don't remember all the details, but like that group kind of didn't really exist anymore. So there's sort of this new team. Um, and so that, that team was five at the time you know, in 2008 when I joined and product design was probably like 10 to 15. Mm-hmm. I mean, like pretty small. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. That's a pretty small team when you consider, um, you know, the amount of employees within, within the building. Right. And then the exponential growth of all of that. And I'm, cl- I'm sure that team included. Yeah. I mean, by the time I left, you know, there were designers certainly on the product design side that I had never met. I didn't know, you know, like it, I don't know what the numbers were. I still remember in 2000, geez, what, uh, 2013 visiting a friend of mine who worked at Microsoft yeah. at the time, at the time, Facebook, I think was, you know, it was around like five, 6,000 employees. And I remember, uh, my friend was a researcher, uh, is a researcher on the design team there at Microsoft. I remember asking him, like, you know, so how big is the design organization at Microsoft? And he's like, oh, it's about like six thousand people. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, that's like our whole company. That's, but that's their their company wild. is like a hundred thousand, you know, plus employees. So yeah, just like the scale, yeah, really, really blew my mind. That's wild. Okay. So that's a little bit about this journey and trajectory that you've been on. Um, But I want to kick this back a little bit further here. And I want to ask you then, what is your earliest memory of print or packaging? A magazine you used to get, a toy. What's that earliest memory? Yeah. So I was trying to think about this uh, before, before the podcast. And one of the earliest things that I can remember um, is being at JC Penney's shopping with my mother 
And, you know, I don't even know, like pretty young. I don't remember what age exactly. Uh, and, and I just remember asking, uh, you know, seeing in my, in my memory, it's a Batman t-shirt. And I just remember asking, you know, my mom, like, how do they get the pictures on the shirt? And, and I don't remember her specific answer. You know, I don't know that she knew specifically about screen printing and, you know, all this kind of stuff, but just like, I, you know, just sort of vaguely remember her explaining, oh, it's printed on there and, um, something I, I do remember her saying like they have to print one color at a time or something like that. <laughs> uh, and so that's, that's one of the earliest memories that I can, that I can remember um, that was sort of like where I was beginning to be curious about like, how do they, you know, how do they get the pictures on there? How do they do that? Um, so, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And props to your mom for calling out like one color at a time. Like, most people would just be like, yeah, they just put it on there. They just put it on there. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like next level answer. Yeah. Yeah. So. so what about recently, Ben? Have you had any recent interactions with print or packaging that surprised you or you thought was done really well? Yeah, I was trying to think about this as well. Um, and two things came to mind. Uh, one of them is this like, it's the like probiotic health thing called Seed. Okay. Um, uh, seed, seed probiotics. Yeah. Um, and it like the, you know, it comes in this like nice green cardboard box and, uh, you know, it's this like daily supplement that you take and that, you know, the, the jar, you know, that you can store it on your countertop. It's this like green glass jar. Um, and then, but like the, the insulation is like, a I forget, it's like the mycelium, like, uh, uh, like mushrooms, like grown okay. sort of like insulation to like keep it, you know, safe during transit. And then it's like a subscription thing. And like each month they send you, you know, like your refill and it's all like compostable. The, the, uh, that the refill stuff comes with like, um, uh, it's like that cornstarch, like insulation stuff. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like, you know, it's, it's very thoughtful, like end to end, um, like all, and it all, you know, the kudos to them, you know, getting the green consistent across all these like various mediums. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I haven't looked at it like super close, but like it's, it feels very consistent. And even the pills are like that green color. Um, so, so that's, that's one. And then the other one I actually like still had sitting here. Uh, I bought this uh, PC laptop recently um, to play around with like some 3d modeling stuff. And it's, um, do you know who William Gibson is? He's, he's no. in Vancouver. Uh, he's a writer. Uh, cyberpunk like fiction writer cool and and so i saw him tweet about this laptop and i've been thinking about getting a pc laptop because there's like some rendering stuff that i can't do on the mac and so anyway this laptop is designed by this fashion or it's a collaboration between asus and this fashion brand called acronym okay that's that's an acronym uh, of course <laughs> <laughs> uh 
And so the laptop itself is like really cool. And it's this, it feels like this kind of thing out of a William Gibson novel. It's kind of like cyberpunk deck. Um, <laughs> and if you're not familiar with cyberpunk, just think, uh, you know, think like the matrix. Uh, yeah, no, I totally have it. Yeah. And so, but the packaging for this laptop, um, I mean, the box, you know, has all these like cool graphics and patterns and stuff. And so does the laptop. But then the coolest part, and, and one of the main reasons why I saved it, um, here you can kind of see the inside of the box, and, uh, oh, yeah. is, it, is it came in this like sleeve. Um, it's like this air, you know, this like air sleeve thing to protect wow. the laptop with all these like cool graphics on it. And I, yeah. I can't remember the, I found the designer who did the graphic design. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but I could probably find it and send it to you later. If you definitely um, wanted to include that. Cause it's, yeah, his work is really, really cool. It's kind of got this like nineties tech aesthetic. Um, so that was that's definitely one that I, I saved just because it was like really, really well done. So let me ask you this then. As a consumer, if you bought this laptop and it didn't come with that packaging, it didn't come with, you know, some of the cool design and cool print with it, do you think that the product is just as memorable, the experience is just as memorable, or is it is it just kind of a, you know, and now I've got the tool that I need? I mean, the product itself, you know, the, it, again, like with this laptop, like they carry the design like through, you know, to the product as well. So like yep. laser etched on the bottom of the laptop or like all these graphics and patterns. And then like so cool. all the all the keys on the keyboard are like, you know, these different colors and like it's just so it's it's sort of this continuation of that that philosophy that same sort of philosophy of the product so the laptop itself you know if it had come in you know a nondescript box like would have still been i think cool but you know it's cool by itself but it, this just sort of like adds value and you know it's it's like you you're gonna put it in a box to send it anyway so like <laughs> yes. uh, and and i think that this again is like it's nothing fancy you know, it's just one color black ink on cardboard, but it's just like by spending some time, you know, and hiring a decent graphic designer, like the graphics are really cool and thoughtful and like, you know, just like that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So just like adding that border to like the kind of, you know, stuff that you would have to have on there anyway. Yep. Um, so it's, yeah. I mean, this, I don't know, I don't know how standard this kind of sleeve thing was. And if they, if it was an existing thing or if they had to invent this, I have no idea. Um, I've seen the air pocket sleeve before, but I've never seen it printed on. Gotcha. Yeah. So that's cool. Screen printed or, yeah, I wonder how they would have done that. I don't think it's screen printed screen printed prior to inflation i guess i mean it would have to be printed prior to, to inflation yeah. yeah um i honestly can't tell how it's printed it doesn't look screen printed to me though but it could i guess it could be with some kind of like um 
uh, obviously like an oil-based ink or something. Maybe or flexo printed or something in, in line as a, as a roll before it's formed into its final thing. Something yeah. like that. It's really sharp. That's cool. Like whatever it is, like the, the, the printing is like really, really sharp. Mm-hmm. So Ben, I've interviewed, um, gosh, 300 plus designers now. And sometime during the conversation, we always get into print. Somehow it always comes up. Um, why, do, why do you think print is so special and so unique to designers? And everybody's got some sort of packaging or an iPhone box or something that they got and really appreciated and, and hung on to it. What do you think makes print and packaging so special to designers? I mean, I think that it's, I mean, you know, this may sound like really, really basic, but it's just like, it's, um, you know, print is, is a physical manifestation. It makes things tangible. And, and I think that designers especially like it, um, especially when it's their own work, uh, because, <laughs> because like co- whether it's conscious or subconscious, they understand that, you know, it took, uh, it took energy, it took resources, it took time uh, to convert, you know, this raw material into this form, yeah. whatever, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And, and that process, that expenditure, uh, you know, implies that whatever was produced was valuable enough to warrant that expense. And so it just like, I, I think that we like that. We like feeling that, you know, our ideas, you know, and our work is valuable enough to like warrant that expenditure, that, that, and, and, and then I think it's also like, you know, it just is this durable thing that can like last a long time. And, mm-hmm. um, but I, but I think that like at a, at a really deep level, it's, it's that, you know, oh, this, this thing took energy to make. And so it, it has value and like, uh, that's, that's, I think what a, a big part of it is. Yeah, and that actually, you know, ties into a couple of other points that I've heard about this, you know, in answers to this question is that it it creates some exclusivity. Like this is finite. There's only so many of these produced. Um and, and you have one of them. So it creates a little bit of this exclusivity to it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I think that's so, I think that's part of it too. Yeah, the and just yeah, that feeling of taking something from your screen and, and putting it in, out there in, in the real world for people to touch and interact with and see on a shelf. I mean, you just can't get that with an Instagram ad or an, an Instagram post. Like it just it's in the memory and gone so yeah. quickly. Whereas an Apple or you know, an iPhone box, somebody probably has the original iPhone box. It's actually probably worth a lot of money right now. <laughs> <laughs> if you have one of those kicking around. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I've, I have this, you know, obviously this sort of like love hate relationship with technology and mm-hmm. I'm simultaneously like fascinated by it. I, I think the internet is, is like wonderful. And, mm-hmm. and um, at the same time, and, and I, I guess I've for a long time, uh, specifically with books, I've, I've had this, there's been this sort of like tension in my life. And for quite a while in my like twenties, I was just like, I, I was collecting books. I mean, you can see books behind me. There's a whole yeah. wall of books right here. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it's, I collect them because like they had, you know, interesting images. They're mostly like design books, anything that I could read digitally. Like once the Kindle came out, like I had a Kindle, like I would read digital, you know, digitally, anything that I could get digitally, I was like happy to have digitally. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I was like, oh, I have this things because like this information just doesn't exist in another form. Like if this information was digital, like at the time I was like, oh, I would much prefer it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think there are benefits, you know, to potentially having things digitally to be able to like search and filter and like, you know, especially, you know, these, these, uh, a lot of these books are monographs. And so like, you know, you take someone like, you know, Alexander Gerard, you know, this multidisciplinary designer with this like career and this huge body of work to be, you know, the, the idea of like having a physical book isn't as useful to me as like having some kind of digital application where I could say like, Hey, I want to see all the textiles he did, you know, between Mm -hmm. this year and this year. And I want to see all Mm -hmm. the like graphic design he did, you know, this year to this year for this client. Like, like that to me would be really valuable. The, I've, I've, you know, so like I've I've moved a lot, and so it's always been kind of like this frustration of like, well, I have all these books because like the information just doesn't. I want the information, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I would prefer most of these things, you know, if I was keeping these things purely based purely on like the qualities of physical artifact, yeah. I could probably reduce this down to like one small shelf, um, and everything else to me could be digital. So I don't have this like. Um, fetish or you know like this love i mean i I appreciate like really finely crafted things but it's Mm -hmm. uh to me it's about mostly it's about the information and i've kind of softened on that position a bit um because like as i've gotten older like software software requires constant maintenance Mm -hmm. uh and so and and books you know and physical media don't like you, you do it once and <laughs> yeah. you know, you know, you, it takes, I guess, some reasonable maintenance. You got to like, keep it in like a, you know, just, just dry place. And, um, yeah. but if you like take reasonable care of it, like it'll last a hundred years, you don't need to update it. You don't need to like mm-hmm. plug it in, like all these kinds of things. So it has this sort of like durability that, that software like has not achieved. Um, and I don't know, you know, like I hope someone you know smarter than me is able to figure out a way to like have the qualities of software with the durability of, of books someday. Um, <laughs> no, I and, agree. And that's the first time I've heard that point made and, and you're, you're right. The other thing is like, is that I, that I've come to appreciate um, in the last year or two, especially is uh, as a, you know, I've, I've built this, you know, pretty large library um despite these feelings of like you know frustration but one of the things that i have come to appreciate is like these things take up space you know and uh that's this that's a frustration but it's also a benefit because it is they do serve as these reminders they're these representations even though you know i haven't read all of these books most of them like i said are monographs so they're they're mostly visuals Mm -hmm. and they're these references so they're these representations of like things that I'm aware of, um, you know, designers, artists, you know, concepts, whatever. And so just like having that physical representation as a reminder of like, oh, you know, I'm aware of, you know, 
Tom Kundig's, you know, architectural work or, you know, Charlie Harper's illustrations or whatever um, is, is a valuable uh, thing. So. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Yeah. And that's interesting way to put it is that it's sort of showing you're aware and by something being there in a physical form, taking up space, it therefore kind of represents value. Yeah. When it and it represents, yeah, that it represents that idea, that concept and it, and it's, you know, it's kind of like it externalizes it. So you don't have to like hold it in memory. Right. Um, you're, you're, you're able to like, you know, glance over your bookshelf and then suddenly like that thing is this key that unlocks like, Oh yeah, that thing is really freaking cool. Um, and that reminds me of this and that reminds me of this and all these kinds of connections start to form. But like it, it sort of, I, I do, you know, I bought, I bought this house like a couple years ago and it's been a really interesting, that kind of, that process of, thinking about the home as this like external externalization of my own sort of thought processes. And, and mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, sort of thinking about it as like a external storage. <laughs> so if, you think, <laughs> if you think about it as like a software model, right. It's yes. like, you got this, like I've got this processing central processing unit, but like, I don't need, I don't want to like have to hold everything in, in memory. I want to like, you know, kind of external, then it's put, so funny. Put stuff on the hard drive. As yeah. it were. I'm not sure how, how old you are, Ben. I'm 35. And when one of the things that, you know, came to memory for me here, when you were saying that, you know, I don't hold memories of these things, but when I see this printed book on the shelf, it clicks. And then all of these th- thoughts that I had, you know, saved in the data bank yeah. and just come right up to the top. And it's, I, yeah, it's, I, it's a, it's a key. It's like, it's the like information. That. The information is there. Yep. You need the you need the key to unlock it. What I love about that is that I recently posted about um, nostalgic print print that when you see it is that key and unlocks memories. Yep. And the example that I used for my particular age was um, Pogs. I don't know if you remember Pogs. Oh, yeah. Those things became big. Yeah, those were huge for me in grade four, grade five. Like those were legit. And I remembered the memory just hit me one day. And I looked up on like on eBay and looking up these pogs and things like that. And all of a sudden I'm back at lunchtime in grade four, you know, having slammer battles with people. Like all of these memories are unlocked and print and tactile things have the power to do that sort of be that external key to unlock those memories. Um, You know, some were Pokemon cards, some were hockey cards, like those printed items can just unlock things like that for you. So I love the way that you, you said that you brought that up. I, uh, I still have, uh, I still have all my pogs. <laughs> Do you really? Yeah. Uh, I was saying to my wife just a couple days ago, I wish I had all my pogs. I think I'm going to go on a pog buying spree. Like over 2020, we were reading an article yesterday, Pokemon cards saw this massive surge in popularity. And dude, I'm telling you right now, here's the live statement. Pogs are the next on the horizon. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming for those pogs, Ben. I, uh, I'm my mother. I'm very fortunate. She's, uh, she's very sentimental. And so she like, she didn't get rid of anything. I mean, sometimes there are things where it's just like, okay, this can be, you can get rid of this, but like, yeah. uh, and, but so I've benefited from that in that I have a lot of the stuff from our childhood. Um, and yeah, I've, I have a box now that's sort of like all these like things like pogs that are just kind of these cherished childhood, like mementos. 
That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Such a cool thing. <laughs> okay, Ben, we're, we're in that nostalgic kicking it back category right now. So I'm going to stick with that just for a minute. What's uh, the first print project that you were ever a part of? The first <laughs> one that you produced? Um, I, uh, I actually found it. Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty organized, so it wasn't that surprising, but, um, and it's not good, but I'll show it to you. <laughs> so when I was, uh, when I started college in 2001, um, at the end of my first semester, I got this job at this on-campus department, uh, called the center for distributed learning. So this is okay. 2001 and, and I was hired as like a designer to design online classes so like you know this is very early days of like distance education oh for sure we were like um you know kind of trying to figure out how do you how do you take a you know college level course and you know put some you know there were there were different sort of levels there were like some of the classes you know components are online or all of the classes online Mm -hmm. so i was designing these templates for these things um anyway there was this conference for this uh, thing called WebCT, which I think was like a software for distance education. I don't know. Anyway, um, somehow I got roped into designing this like postcard mailer. That's awesome. Uh, thing for is, the is that like electricity or waves or. So I had like take. I was like really into at the time. I had a. I had my high school graduation gift was a digital camera, and so I was like really playing around with photography and stuff at the time. And I was really into like long exposure, you know, like get in, you know, I'd get in my car, be in my friend's car at night and like, you know, leave the shutter open really long, get all these like weird light streaks and stuff. So I used some of that photography and I know you can't really even see it. There's all this like, you know, text, you know, kind of like nonsense stuff in the background that I was really into in the early two thousands. Um, and then like, uh, the yes. back. Oh, I and like then, the, I like the line, how you got the rounded corner there coming down. Uh, and then there, you know, so that was the first thing. And then, and then followed it up with this, like the program guide for the event, which yeah, pretty awful, um, <laughs> in terms of like graphic design, but this was the first thing. And I didn't have any, I had no say in like, what the paper was or, mm-hmm. and I remember, you know, I did this all in Photoshop. I didn't know illustrator or InDesign at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I was like learning about resolution and like, you know, didn't really understand CMYK versus RGB <laughs> at the time. Like, um, so I was learning, learning a lot, uh, through doing those pieces. So it was interesting. That's awesome. How you still have them. I love that. Uh, again, my my mother has. Uh, I'm a pack rat, but I'm a, I'm a re- reasonably organized pack rat. Reasonably organized pack rat. I love <laughs> it. Um, ben, have you ever been a part of a print project that did not turn out as you would hope? You went sideways. The press check didn't go well. Um, can you tell us about that project and your experience with it? Yeah, I. Uh, thankfully, there's been nothing that's been too bad. Um, there's been, there certainly have been like typos uh, that were my fault. Um, the, the, there were two, two things that I could think of last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them was 
the Facebook developer conference called F8 in 2011 that I worked on with uh, Tim Balonix, one of your previous guests. Yeah. Um, and, and we did these, uh, I don't have these handy cause they're in like, uh, I'm doing construction here. And so not that organized. Um, I do still have them somewhere though that we did these, uh, the, the booklet guide for the event was also the badge. So there's like a lanyard and then, you know, this, this booklet that you could then like, you know, open up, but then it was also the cover of it was dig- dynamically printed with their name okay. information. And, and so I had like, we had done this the year before uh, as well. And it had been very, really successful. And in this next year we were like doing, it was a, the first year was just a saddle stitch booklet. This year we were doing a perfect bound booklet cause there was a little bit more content. Okay. And, um, you know, we were doing this, uh, uh, process color on the interior, uh, dynamically digitally printed covers with uh, clear foil over the top of the dynamically printed information. And then there was a hole drilled for the lanyard to connect. And I had ordered the lanyards separately from a separate vendor. And so, you know, we're, this was always like crazy time crunch. So it wasn't until the day before that the books got delivered from the printer and I like got, you know, grabbed one of the lanyards and tried to connect the, you know, clip and the clip was too small. The hole was drilled like too far inside Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, on the corner. And so we had lanyards and books that couldn't connect to one another. And uh, so I ended up sending out um, people to all of the like office supply, office depot, office max, office supply stores in the Bay area uh, (laughs) to find, like we had, you know, we did a little bit of research. We're trying to figure out, okay, what are we going to do? And we found these like binder clip rings uh and and so i had them go to like all these office supply stores and basically buy out the bay area supply of these (laughs) like specific binder rings and then i had other other like you know facebook employee volunteers at the event like sitting and cutting the uh the clips off of the lanyards um and then like putting these new ones on and yeah so like that was uh you know just because of the speed we didn't have time to like test these things yeah. Um, ahead of time. So that was one. And then the other one, um, I, uh, you know, we started this, uh, analog research lab at Facebook and, uh, and we did, um, you know, so we would do all these like screen printed posters and things like that. We, uh, in 2012, um, I found out, you know, they sent out sort of a, a email or something internally, uh, Barack Obama is going to come and he's going to speak at Facebook. And so we were like, whoa, like this is, this is cool. <laughs> and it ended up being where he announced his, you know, that he was going to run again in 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, it, well, actually it might've been in 2011. I can't remember what it's either 2011 or 2012. Um, he ran in 2012. Uh, he, so like my first thing is like, Oh, okay. Like I got to design a poster, you know, to like sort of commemorate this event. Uh And, um, and, but you know, there's always a million things going on. I know I was in New York for some other project and then, you know, there was also going to be all this like press at this thing. So we, I was like helping sort of design what's the backdrop for the press going to look like. And so it ended up 
uh, coming down to like the night before and I still hadn't, you know, I hadn't designed or printed a poster. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I was still like in the back of my mind, I was like, I got to do something. And, and so I was like at dinner in the cafe at Facebook and I was like, you know, just trying to sketch out like some ideas. And I was like, oh, you know, the president has this like four letter H word hope that he always uses in his, his campaign. Mm -hmm. And we internally have this like four letter H word hack um, that we, you know, promote, you know, sort of hackathons, like hacker mentality, this idea of like rapid prototyping. And so I was like, oh, I can do a print, you know, layering the two uh, words on top of one another. That'll be like really simple and really, you know, two color print. Um, and it'll look like really nice. And I used Gotham because it was like the typeface that the president used in his campaign and all that kind of stuff. So, so I was like, all right, this is going to, this will be good. So I, I go to the lab. I had already coded screens. So I'd like, you know, printed out the things, burned the screens, printed like 50 or a hundred prints. And so it's now like one in the morning or something like that the night before. And, uh, and I'm like, you know, cleaning up this, this studio and I'm about to go home and uh, and, and I, I was like, I was like, it'd be really cool if we could get one of these things signed by the president so that we could like frame it and put it up in the office. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to like walk up to the president and say like, <laughs> please sign Sir. my poster. <laughs> um, so I knew that the only, you know, I knew that Mark, uh, was the only person that I would, that could like probably get that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And he, I hadn't told him about any of this. So I like, I took a photo of the print and I like sent him a message, uh, and I was like, hey, man, I know you're going to be busy interviewing the president tomorrow, but like I made this poster. It'd be cool if he could get him to sign it. Yada, yada, yada. And he's like, oh, yeah, this is uh, this is rad. I don't know if the Secret Service will let me, but like I'll do You know, if you leave it on my desk, I'll grab it in the morning and I'll, I'll do what I can. So I was like, cool. Mark's on board. And so then I'm like stacking up the posters. I'm going to go leave one on his desk and I'm going to go home and get a few hours sleep because I had to come back and help with the event the next morning. And. And that's when I realized as I'm like stacking the posters uh, that I had misspelled Barack on the bottom oh, of the poster. Oh, no. I had misspelled the president's name. <laughs> oh, no. So I was just like, I was like, oh, my God. Uh, so I ended up having to stay up. Um, you know, I had to like recoat screens, let those dry, output new film, burn new screens. Uh, I don't know how late I was there, uh, but it was just like, I, this has to be, you know, you can't, <laughs> this has to yeah. be right. You either think, scrap it entirely yeah. or, but yeah, you've already got, oh man. So, so it ended up being, I think there was an addition of 10 mm -hmm. um, of the fine of the like final ones. Uh, I left one on Mark's desk. I went home, I got out, you know, got back. I was able, I was fortunate enough to be there and like see the thing. And it was after the event and everyone's kind of like filing out of the building. And I, I coming out one door and Mark's coming out a door a little bit further down and he looks over and he sees me and he just goes, we got it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So as far as I know, it's still hanging in the research lab uh, at Facebook. Uh, as a signed poster that you literally have blood, sweat and tears into. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Man, that's a wild one. I can just imagine like the the hustle and like the, the highs and the lows of just like packed within a few hours. Like I'm doing this and Mark's <laughs> on board and the president's going to sign it. And then, uh, oh my God. 
<laughs> I mean, I'm just glad that I, you know, after the fact, I'm just glad that I caught it. Yeah, hundred percent. It's like that would have been really embarrassing for Mark, for Facebook, like for me. Um, yeah. If we had like asked the president, he you know goes to sign it. He's like, "You misspelled my name." Like that'd be bad. So <laughs> yes, that would be bad. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, that's a good one. That's <laughs> that's probably one of the top ones that that I've heard here that you know ended really well, but there yeah. were moments of absolute sheer panic. Happy ending, but yes. <laughs> awesome. All right, Ben. I want to do a deep dive here and get into a couple of print projects with you. I know you've got a couple that you want to deep dive into, um, and I'd love to get into them. And um, one of them, Tim, in one of my previous episodes, sort of touched on a little bit. And you mentioned that you wanted to just go a little bit deeper into the story behind it. Um, and then you have another one that you wanted to share for Airbnb. So let's start with the the Parker Institute one. Um, and I'll pull it up on screen here so people can yeah. see as well. Yeah, I thought that these would these two would be uh, really good to compare and contrast. Um, and so, yeah, I did uh, I did collaborate on this with uh, Tim Belonix, who you know we've collaborated many times over the years. Um, he we did this thing called Project M together, and then he came and worked with me at Facebook and uh, worked on this thing, and so many collaborations with him. Um, so this is a project that we did in 2016. So do you know who Sean Parker is? Um, I know a Sean Parker, but like, do, I'm thinking do you know, bands. You know, uh, do you remember Napster? Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, so it was one of the Napster, uh, co-founders. Got it. Um, if you've seen the, the movie, the social network, the Facebook, uh, sort of movie, uh, Justin Timberlake's character is Sean Parker. Um, anyway, he's he's an interesting dude. Uh, Napster, and then he was the first president of Facebook. Anyway, you know he's he's uh, he's wealthy now. He's um, and he's doing a lot. He's doing a lot and has done a lot of philanthropy. Um, and so one of the things that he's really interested in is curing cancer. And, and so he began looking at the problems and, um, and sort of trying to take, you know, some of the things that he had learned and understood from like, you know, software companies and technology companies and like, you know, bring those kind of innovations. And so one of the problems with, uh, research labs is, you know, you have, you have a, a lab at, you know, one institution, a lot of these labs are like at academic institutions. So like mm-hmm. UCLA or UCSF or Penn, um, or, and then you have other, you know, like, uh, you know, hospitals and stuff like that. And, and so there's these research labs and, and then they, you know, the researchers like will publish academic papers, uh, of their research, mm-hmm. but they don't have, um, like, say, say they do something and it's just a complete failure. Like they probably don't publish a paper about that. So then maybe <laughs> yes. there's a lab over here that's going to like duplicate that same attempt, that same effort, not knowing that it's already failed. So there's like, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a problem of like, uh, just, you know, n- information not being shared openly. Mm-hmm. And then there's a problem of, uh, you know, say you're doing a clinical trial at this institution, the way they've, you know, are organizing the taxonomy of their data, is going to be probably different than the taxonomy at this institution. So there's not, 
there's not interoperability, you know, so that they can even really compare. It's like comparing apples to oranges instead of apples to yeah. apples. Yeah. Um, and so just, there's a lot of these kinds of like just inefficiencies. And so what he uh, and, and his organization um, did is they established this thing called the Parker Institute. Um, and they somehow got all, you know, the, the initial partners are like MD Anderson at the University of Texas, Memorial Sloan Kettering, Penn Medicine, Stanford, UCLA, UCSF, um, to agree to uh, kind of like join this organization and, and kind of create this sandbox where they will share all this information and like standardize their data collection mm-hmm. um, in order to try to speed up this sort of cutting edge research around cancer immunotherapy, which is like using... Uh, basically like taking their different sort of forms of it, but at a high, high level without getting into the weeds, you know, it's kind of like taking your, your uh, white blood cells, Mm -hmm. um, reprogramming them to identify the cancer. Cause I guess one of the, one of the problems with cancer is like your immune system doesn't recognize that it's bad because Mm -hmm. it's your, it's your cells kind of like gone rogue and sort of like subdividing out of control. And so your immune system like sees that those cells and it's like, Oh, that's, that's, that's Ben. Like we're not going to attack Ben. Um, And so they're able to like reprogram these cells, essentially take your own, you know, T cells, your white blood cells, reprogram them, re-inject them back into you. And now you're, now they know, Oh, that's, that's actually bad. That's cancerous. Kill, <laughs> kill that cell. And so they're able to like, you know, they're, they're able to like kind of hack, reprogram your, uh, your immune system uh, to like know, to identify like that's cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've had a lot of like early, there's been a lot of like early indications of success with this sort of like methodology. So Sean wanted to like, uh, you know, try to help uh, accelerate this. So well, we were tasked with like helping sort of design this launch event um, to announce the formation of this like partnership, the Parker Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, you can see, I, I don't know if, if you scrolled past some of this other stuff, we did all these other, you know, pieces. Um, yeah, they're uh, back up here. Yeah. The, the badges are pretty cool. Uh, digital white ink on clear plastic. Um and then the backgrounds are uh, generated patterns. And so they're each badge is unique. Um, you know, all the signage and this like entry wall at this like beautiful space where we did the event in LA. Uh, and scroll down a bit. Yeah, signage. Um, there you can see the layers of the badge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all this kind of these panels kind of in the foyer and um and then all this kind of projection stuff on the stage that was yeah. an, animated and yeah so what was um, the the sort of the vision and thought behind this pattern like what did it replicate or, or sort of highlight so uh we began looking at like um you know, we were we were looking at sort of visual risk research and inspiration when Tim and I uh, started this project, mm-hmm. and you know we we're looking at like images of like cells under a microscope and um, visualizations of medical information and like just there were uh, like how you visualize um, like uh, like gene sequencing information. There were like mm-hmm 
like 10 different examples of like different ways that, where we were just seeing like lots of these like just sort of dots and circles being used. But like basically mm-hmm. like sort of cells under the microscope was kind yep. of like the main thing. And so we just wanted to kind of create this abstract uh, thing because one of the things that that um, we we learned uh, Tim worked on FA 2011 with me. So like having worked on like some events before, one of the things that I have found like invaluable is to have a flexible patterning system. Mm-hmm. Uh, because inevitably there's going to be things that, you know, at the last minute, Oh, we forgot we need cocktail napkins or we need wristbands or like whatever it is. And so to be able to like have something that is, that's flexible that you can like, can, you know, constrained to whatever space you need that mm-hmm. still feels that isn't just like slapping the logo on something, but yep. like is this element that you can carry through and sort of tie everything together is, is really, really uh, valuable. And like so, that. you know, we sort of took those learnings and, you know, developed this kind of like patterning system that was like, it is, you know, I wrote this program and processing to like generate all these kinds of things and animate them and all this kind of stuff. Um, and so that was kind of the basic kind of like, uh, logic with the book specifically, you know, we, we were, when we started the project, we had about a month to do all this kind of stuff, okay, um, which, it, which actually isn't a lot of time. It's no, this is not a lot of time at all. Maybe, maybe it's six weeks from like when they first reached out to me yeah. so to the day of, they already had the event date set. And, um, we, you know, so like the first thing was like, okay, let's nail down the list of deliverables, you know, that we, that we know we need. And so it was like the badges and all, you know, the, uh, presentation templates. And, um, and we asked, I remember asking like specifically, you know, wasn't dealing with Sean directly was dealing with like his team mm-hmm. and it was like, Hey, do we want to do, you know, we could, you know, do, do you want to do kind of some kind of little exhibition thing and, you know, in the venue to kind of like illustrate the process or, or do you want to do some kind of like book or takeaway piece? And, and it was like, it was sort of this like non-committal, like, yeah, no, maybe like, and, but, and so it wasn't until uh, like two and a half weeks before the event and, I'm at Sean's house in LA and, you know, presenting stuff to him uh, for the first time. Mm -hmm. And, and somehow it comes up in the conversation is like, and he's like, Oh no, we have to do a book. And this is like two and a half weeks before the event. Two and a half weeks before the event. Okay. And so this was like on a, like on a Wednesday. Um, And so from that, like Wednesday uh, to the following Monday, we, uh, you know, we hired a, a studio to help us with the writing. Cause like mm-hmm. there was no content written. No. Um, and, uh, and then we, let's see, what else did we do? Yeah. We, so we basically like commissioned this studio to help us with the writing mm-hmm. and they were, they brought in several contract, uh, copywriters as well. So I think we had like three, three people like brought in to help with the writing and and then I also like hired uh, another freelance designer to help with diagrams, uh, Daniel Fuhrer, and and so then that Monday uh, of the following week, like we the the studio that we hired is this was called West in San Francisco, and we moved into their offices um, for this for the week to like design this book, and so like we were writing and designing like simultaneously, and so we started on Monday. 
Um, we sent the files to the printer the following Monday. Uh, <laughs> and, so, and just to, just to, to understand scale, like, give me the specs on this book. Like, how many are you printing? How many pages are we at? We did. We pr- I think I was trying to figure out. Uh, but the notes that I had, we printed fifteen hundred copies. Okay. Um, I forget how many. We didn't do page numbers. I don't remember how many pages there are. There's probably forty or fifty pages. Um, and it's, I mean, it's not, this is like the most complex print production I've ever done. It's got, you know, uh, French folded pages. Mm-hmm. It's got, uh, it's got these clear divider sheets um, that are digitally printed. It's got these little half sheet uh, inserts. Um, that are on uncoated, different colored stocks. There's four of them. Each one is a different paper. Um, and then the cover itself has this, has four, three or four different layers of foil stamping of different foil dot patterns. And then there's the dust jacket that has another one. And one of the things about this book, the the foil vendor for the, the cover and the dust jacket um, this was so wide that they had to do it in two passes. Wow. So, uh, so this was technically to do this dust jacket was three different passes through the foil press <laughs> and to do the, the cover. Cause again, it has these like fold out, uh, bits yeah. was there's, uh, I think we ended up with three. So there would have been six passes through the press. We had dyes made for more layers, but we ran yeah. out of time. Yeah. Um, wow. So that's, and that, that cover, that's on a holographic paper board, right? It's on this, yeah, it's on this like holographic spectrum paper. So Sean really liked the idea of a, like a, a true 3D hologram um, cover. Mm-hmm. And so, and we, you know, we researched that and we were just like, there's just no, it's doable, but there's no time. No. Like, to do to do it in the time frame that we had, so this was our our backup, uh, you know, th- uh, plan. We bought. I, I know we bought like all of this. I forget what the paper is, but this holographic spectrum paper. We bought all of it in the United States at the time, <laughs> um, and we didn't. Uh, I know we didn't quite. We had overage, but we didn't have as much overage as the printer would have ideally wanted. So yeah. we like you know. We had, we had a little bit of margin for error, but like we couldn't waste too many sheets when we're yeah. on press and doing setup and stuff. Um, thankfully, so like Tim, you know, Tim was the one who was like really working on a lot of the layout stuff. Uh, I was, I was art directing and I was um, working with the, the vendor, you know, we were, you know, we, we basically, in order to design this book, you know, we, we were like, all right, we just got to, we have to like pick a format. We got to pick a size. We got to pick a, you know, we got to pick our papers and stuff before we really even have any content. Mm-hmm. So we were like doing all that stuff. And like, I'm on the phone with our print rep, Marco, who like thankfully had a long, long working relationship with, you know, uh, Oscar printing in San Francisco. Can't recommend them enough. Um, and, and they really helped, you know, it was again, like without having, there were sort of two, without having those relationships already um, with, with someone, you know, that I had worked with and trusted to like help, 
you know, figure out all the print production details. Uh, and then also basically like having a blank check, you know, it was just like, we, we didn't, we, we didn't know what this thing was going to cost. And it was no. just like, you know, uh, and, and Sean and his, you know, like was, they were okay with that. They were just like, we understand this is, <laughs> we're, we're, we're paying a premium here for like the, the, the speed. Um, and, and so it was like those kind of two factors that really allowed us to like do really high quality work, you know, insanely fast. I'm sure you're familiar with the, like that, that triangle, of like good, fast, cheap, <laughs> and, you can only, and you can only pick two, only pick two, you know, this was good and fast. It was not cheap. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, I'm going to ask, but if you can't share, that's fine. And the reason I like to ask this question is to give designers just a sort of perspective and understanding on what it takes to to print and produce something like this dollar-wise. Are you able to share any approximate numbers on what it costs to actually put this together? I actually, I mean, I'm not going to share the specifics, but I honestly like don't even remember the specific. Mm-hmm. I remember, I do remember I calculated it at some point. Um, it was expensive. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I think it was like somewhere north of a hundred dollars a book. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, which looking at the effects, the impact, the French fold, the perfect bind, you know, seeing all of that. And then also knowing the timeline yeah. that doesn't like, that's yeah. Not surprising. <laughs> um, and it was, so started on a Monday with nothing, sent the files to the printer the following Monday, had the books delivered, you know, it was printed in San Francisco where we were, uh, the design team was at the time mm-hmm. and delivered to the venue in LA the following Monday. So two weeks from start to delivery. Awesome. Yeah. So looking at this book, like this is, it's a beautiful piece and obviously left every uh, guest that was there and received a copy with just this massive impact on what they're doing and the results and, you know, a memorable event for sure. Yeah. I mean, hope, hopefully. Um, yeah. So there's, yeah, there's, you know, it sort of tells the high level story, like what they're trying to do, the mission, um, yeah. lots of, you know, charts and diagrams, mm-hmm. uh, and then there, at the end, there are these like these uh, these patients stories of these patients. There are four four different stories, um, and thankfully, like we already had good photography that they had done yeah. for something else of of these patients. Um, so we did have you know they did have some of those assets like the photography, everything else, mm-hmm. uh, the diagrams, and you know we licensed some stuff and. Uh, so about this piece, so this is the only real design question I want to ask um, for, from um, from the direction of you know, the form of this book is French fold pages. What led to that decision? Uh, mostly we want, we wanted it to feel a little bit more substantial, yep. um, a little bit long. You know, it's a way to basically like double the thickness uh, without yes. doubling your page count. Um, but then we also, we like, you know, we had this whole sort of like patterning, dot patterning uh, idea. So we like the idea of like putting those on the inside, this idea that they are these kind of like the cells under the microscope, this, this hidden sort of interior world. Um, so we also liked it conceptually for those reasons, but the, yeah. the primary reason was to, to, um, you know, 
increase the thickness of the book. Yeah, and but what uh, what French fold pages also do is they add to the luxurious feel of it. You know, they add this feeling of luxury. It, it, and when, yeah, it makes it so you can very you know it's sort of like easy to flip through. Yeah. Um, yeah. Man, that is a great one. But <laughs> just the, I would love to get. Obviously, there isn't a copy for me, but like having this and just being able to hold it and flip through it, like that would be. Like, I'm sure you and you, how often do you take that book out? Be honest, Ben. Uh, uh, not very often. It <laughs> sits on the shelf every so often. Someone's over and well, not lately, but <laughs> yeah, um, nobody's been over lately, but you know, it, it's the, definitely one that if you see the spine, you're like, what is that? Yeah. Um, one of the, uh, one of the things we had initially specified this, uh, like Yuppo, Yuppo, like synthetic, yep. like plastic paper. Mm-hmm. And, um, we got on press and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm at the press check and the, the color, uh, was changing sheet to sheet. Oh, wow. Like there was, um, and so like it basically it was like a bad batch of the paper. And so it was like, it was going from like white to off white, like every other sheet. Yikes. We were just like, this is not, this is not good. So we had to like, you know, it was like, hold the presses. Um, this is not going to work. And we had to, I, I mean, it was a matter of hours. It was basically like what paper we, we switched to a coded sheet. Yeah. Um, and it was like, what paper can we get, you know, within, trucked over here from some other printer within, you know, the next two hours. So they didn't, they didn't, they didn't, uh, we like, you know, stayed on press. They got like new paper and like we kept, cause like we just didn't have time to stop. No. And we, you know, we had, uh, we had someone like drive it down like overnight. Cause like the foil, you know, had to go to foil stamping and it had to go to bindery Mm-hmm. And so I was like still there through the foil stamping, but then I wasn't, I didn't do like a bindery check or anything like that. Yeah. But I, you know, it was like, I remember saying to Marco, I was like, if we got to put someone on an airplane with this thing, like just, you know, whatever it takes to get it down there, yeah, um, do it. Let's just make it happen. Whatever it takes. Yeah. That is wild. You know, I've been a part of a couple of crazy paper situations and the one that I remember the most is there was this very, very specific all black uncoated paper that was only manufactured in Italy by Federigoni. And this customer was on a super tight timeline and they wanted some of that paper. There wasn't enough um, in the US to bring it up so we could do it. So we literally had to air freight paper in from Europe to hit the timeline for the, like the actual air freight to get the paper in costs probably 30% of the actual print job. I'm just sure. Yeah. To get it in. It was, it was just wild. It was for this beautiful um, cannabis box, but yeah, yeah. paper is a thing that, you know, to get the right one, it can, it can, it can be, it can well, be an adventure sometimes. It's, it's, you know, especially when you're working, you know, most of my career has been like working with people in the technology industry. Yep. Um, and that medium is like so flexible, you know, you're able to like make changes to it, you know, two minutes before you launch and like two minutes after you launch. And like, you yep. know, it's, 
Uh, and so getting people to think like, hey, you know, if we're printing something, you have to like have your content locked, you know, minimum two weeks, you know, I mean, it can yeah. be done faster, but like, um, it's not, you know, it's not ideal uh, for, you know, budget reasons and like, you mm-hmm. know, the health health of people like me. <laughs> and <laughs> it's uh, so like, yeah, just having to like, I've had to explain to people like stuff has to be put on trucks, you know, or, or airplanes or whatever. And it has to go, yeah. you know, it has to, we have to like, we have to order these things, you know, and they have to, there are physical logistics that we have yes. to deal with. These are physical uh, things. You're moving things. So it's, uh, you know, I definitely had to deal with that quite a bit at Facebook, you know, just trying to get people to like shift their mindsets when they were work when we were yeah, like, okay, if you want this thing, here's, here are the constraints. Yeah, I can see that for sure. So I want to shift gears over to the other book that you wanted to talk about as well. Um, which, um, so I don't know as much about this one. Yeah. So let's like, let's just kick it over to you and, and what's the piece that you're looking to share with us here? So I thought that this would be an interesting, um, interesting one to compare and contrast to the Parker book because, uh, this is another book that I designed and it's like, I mean, it's, it's not even as complex of a print job really. Mm -hmm. Um, but like similar, similar length, similar sort of like complexity of information, similar, similar, like design complexity, I would say. Okay. And you know, this one was a week, uh, to design and a week to print. This one was a year to design. And so, (laughs) and so it just, to me, the, the interesting thing about that is, um, it, it so much of that is dependent on the client. Yes. And yes. I mean, Airbnb and, and uh, a great client, but like they didn't, you know, this wasn't for a specific event. There wasn't the same motivation, you know, to like, it has to be done at this time. Um, and then it also like, it just had to go through a lot more sort of like corporate bureaucracy of like legal review. And uh, we had a, a lot of delays with, um, getting photography, high res photography, sort of like rights and just getting mm-hmm. the photos and like, uh, so like that ended up, you know, so they just be, because the client didn't have like this motivation, you know, of, or like the deadline, um, you know, it was just kind of this thing that like dragged out, uh, mm-hmm. for a long time, but the book itself, um, is 80, 92 pages. Um, it's a uh, hardcover. It's a paper wrapped, uh, uncoated paper wrapped hardcover bound book with uh, black foil and white foil on the cover. Um, and, and then the interior is all digital, digitally printed. Okay. And so, so that, Go ahead. I was just going to say, so the story behind this piece, like how did this even come to be? So this was a, this is a piece to sort of document and commemorate this uh, project that they did. So they, um, in, geez, I should know this. Uh, having worked on this so much. Um, let me look at the dates real quick. So they built this uh, in 20, 
26, well, 20 started in 2015 pre-development and then they built this house in 2016 okay. in rural Japan in this uh, region called Yoshino. Okay. Um, and, and originally the house was built uh, and then disassembled and trucked to Tokyo for this architecture exhibition. And, uh, and then after the, uh, called House Vision, and then after mm-hmm. ha- the House Vision exhibition, it was deconstructed and moved back to Yoshino and permanently installed uh, along the Yoshino River. Um, and it's, it's this collaboration between Airbnb and the town of Yoshino and this Japanese architect named Go Hasegawa, who is just like, if I, if I could like hire any architect to design my home, it would be Go, Go Hasegawa for sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was a prototype of a, um, a community owned Airbnb property. So it's not okay. owned by a single host. It's actually owned by the town. And there's like 30 people from the town who take turns being the hosts to the guests uh, that stay there. And the downstairs is sort of this like, you know, sort of cafe, more sort of communal space. And then upstairs, there are these two Airbnb sort of like units. Um, if you scroll down, in the images, there's like a 3D exploded diagram that kind of shows somewhere in those images I sent you. There should be anyway. There, there it is. Yeah. Um, so you can see sort of there on the either ends, there's the sunrise room and the sunset room. Um, and then the downstairs is, is, so it's this like long kind of like linear house uh, with this mm-hmm. steep pitched roof. So they built the house, um, you know, it was at the exhibition and then they moved it back to Yoshino and then it's, you know, it's been uh, operating as an Airbnb uh, unit since April, 2017. And so they, they wanted to just sort of make a book that kind of documented this whole process and Mm. this project that they could give out, you know, to like, some of the local government officials and and some of the people who were involved in the project just sort of as this like commemorative piece. Yeah. So it was Airbnb that commissioned this piece as part of their. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And specifically Joe, Joe Gebbia, who's one of the co-founders is one of the the main people that was kind of like driving this project Mm. internally at Airbnb. Um, And really the only constraint, you know, this was, uh, I don't even actually know how many of these they ended up producing, but it was uh, always intended to be sort of a low quantity, you know, mm-hmm. couple hundred, couple hundred at most. Um, and so what the only real constraint was uh, that we were going to do the, the interior was going to be digitally printed. Yeah. And everything else, um, you know, the size, the, the cover, the sort of binding was kind of left uh, up to me to, you know, pitch what I thought we should do. Um, One of the other uh, interesting aspects of this for me, um, and one of the other reasons why it it, uh, took longer, uh, the content had to be written first in English, and then it had to be translated into Japanese. (laughs) So typesetting a book that is both, that is is, uh, two languages, um, was a unique challenge that I had never uh, had to deal with before. Mm-hmm. And hopefully 
we did have the the typesetting reviewed by a Japanese uh, person, but hopefully the the you know I have no idea. Hopefully my typesetting of the Japanese is not um, too terrible because <laughs> I can't read it. But for sure, you know that's the that's the battle when you're working in a different language for sure. So Airbnb reaches out and they want to create this book. They don't really have a timeline on this project. Um, they just said, you know, put it together. We'll, we'll slowly get you some photography. We'll get some content. We'll slowly put this thing together. Yeah, they, they hired a writer um, who worked on the writing. Initially, I think they thought they had, they had this like sort of internal document. And they thought they just wanted, when they first reached out to me, they're like, hey, we just want to take this and, you know, turn it into a book. Yeah. And, and then they pretty quickly realized, you know, as we started getting into it, like, yeah, we really need to like bring out a writer. So they brought on a writer. So then that kind of like that had to, that took a month or two yeah. and it had to go to translation and, and basically like, you know, they kind of just dumped, you know, he, here's all of these photos from various sources, you know, employees we've, you know, they had professional photographers come and shoot it. So they just like, here's everything we have. Um, but some of it, they didn't know who had actually photographed, you know, who the photographer was. And some of it, uh, there was, there was a whole, uh, I remember there was like a whole sort of like batch of photos that were clearly by a professional photographer, but which they didn't know who that photographer had been. And they didn't have the high resolution photos for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like we were trying to track those down and so there are, you know, in the back section, um, did we, did we, I can't remember if we left any of these in. I think maybe we, no, we did, we did have a few, uh, you know, in the back section. Yeah. There where there's, yeah, you can see there, there's like unknown yeah. <laughs> photographer. Um, so that was, you know, that, that ended up taking a long time to figure out what images we could use. And So on the material side, you know, I, I'm starting to, and, and one thing that I talk to, to designers about is taking account of what paper you're producing and making sure that there is sort of a, a project or brand alignment with the messaging and with what you're trying to deliver, you know, and the, and the contrast I give is, you know, imagine, you know, a, a slick tech company or an Apple or something like that, producing everything on seed paper, you know, with little basil seeds in it. And then on the other side of the spectrum, having a company whose sole goal and mission, you know, much like the um, the probiotic company you were talking about, where everything is compostable, delivering something on high gloss paper with a UV varnish on it. Yeah. You know, like it's, it has to, the paper selection in the process needs to match the story you're telling. It needs to complement and enhance that. So when I hear you flipping, I don't even have these, like I haven't seen this book in person, but when I hear you flipping through the pages, like, okay, it sounds like thicker paper. Looks like it might be a little bit of an off white in sections, but that might be print, uh, but like a premium uncoated. It is. Yeah. It's an uncoated sheet. And I can't remember it's, it is fairly thick. Um, and I can't remember what the paper, uh, is off the top of my head. I'm going to say it's like a Mohawk something. 
Um, It's white, but then, yeah, in various sections, we did print this, like, cream color to kind of create this, like, two-tone effect that we use throughout the design of the book. Um, You know, we're limited because, like, on selection of papers, because it did have to be digital. we, you know, but we specifically did want this to be, you know, this house is like, it's this very warm, it's called the Yoshino Cedar House. So it's all built out of like local cedar. So that I didn't mention this, the, the region of Yoshino has historically been uh, this, this major producer of high grade Japanese lumber. Um, oh, okay. So they're, they're like forestry and like, um, I mean, at, at its peak, there were like hundreds of lumber mills. I think yeah. now there's only something like 30 or something lumber mills in the area. Uh, but the, I mean, I have never seen wood this nice before. I, I actually was able to, after I finished this project, I was able to go and stay at the house. Uh, and my host happened to be uh, one of the people featured in the book. Nice. Um, and he's the like third generation owner of one of the local sawmills. So I was able mm-hmm. to go tour the sawmill and, Um, it was really cool. Like I showed up, I hadn't, you know, I hadn't, uh, I just booked it on Airbnb. I didn't like tell them until I got there and it was raining. And so he picked me up at the train station and, uh, you know, he doesn't speak very good English. Uh, his name is, um, uh, Isabashi son. Uh, and so we were chatting as this guy, um, Oh yeah. <laughs> super, super nice guy. Um, he didn't speak very good English. I speak no Japanese. Uh, but you know, so I was like trying to, you know, trying to explain to him like, yeah, I actually like worked on this book about this house. It was really funny. Like we get to the house and there were a couple other people, locals that were there, uh, in the downstairs space. And so then we're chatting with them and I had some food. I had just taken a long train ride and, um, so I had some like, you know, snacks and stuff that needed to be put in the refrigerator. And I, so I was like, I was like, do you mind if I put this stuff in, in the fridge? And they're like, no, that that's fine. And so I just like got up and like walked the, the fridge is like not visible. It's like in this sort of like alcove in the back. And so I just like got up and like walked there. And then I like came back and they're like, how did you like know where the fridge was? And I was like, oh, like I know everything about this house. Like <laughs> I, like I have, you know, I know who you are. Like it's, um, so I was like explaining to them and then I was able, the, the book wasn't printed. So I didn't, at that point, I had just gone to press, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had, on my, I had it on my laptop. So they knew that the book had, was being made. Um, so I was able to like show them the spreads and stuff. And uh, so it was, it was fun, but it was, yeah, it's like kind of funny. That's cool. So on but this, sorry, I was going to say, yeah. uh, I was going to say we, we, uh, you know, we wanted it, we picked uncoated paper, you know, we wanted that kind of like warmer feel to, you know, just to sort of, because of the, the content of the house. Uh, and the house is, is so like, it's all made of wood. Like there's, it's not like the, this clean marble surface, like it's wood, there's texture, there's feeling and things it, that you replicating that in with uncoated paper, cause there's feeling to it and there's more to it. It, it is, it is all wood and, like if you go go down a couple images there, or go to the next image um, down, so you see that on the ceiling there, that yep. like lighter that lighter strip of wood. Yeah, that's actually the lights, and they have uh, they're recessed in this like channel, 
Um, and they have milled the wood so thin mm -hmm. there to like cover those lights that it's translucent. Wow. So That's it's just so like cool. that, that level of detail. And then um, when I was looking at this one of the stairs, like the stairs are, are floating from the top floor. It looks like. Yeah. Yeah. They're not connected to the floor. <laughs> it's, it's wild. <laughs> That's so cool. Like what a unique project to be brought in on. Even, even the shower, um, you can go find photos online. This shower is wood. <laughs> wow. It's Yeah. That's such a cool one, man. And you know, the reason why we wanted to dive into these is because of, like you were saying, the complete contrast of the two. One is and like impact. Like what can we show people and illustrate, you know, the, 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 the molecular stuff going on here and, and the stories and the fast, let's do it fast. And then this is almost like the the development of this book almost is like that stereotypical like homage to Japanese culture. It's like no, let's let's, let's it's just, like slow it down. Like it's very contemplative. It it's like yes, uh, and so yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, some other you know on the Parker book, like we were, I was dealing directly with the printer that I've worked with mm -hmm. um, at Airbnb. Uh, they have you know this really talented team internally. Um, and so they have like print producers, uh, on staff. And so I was working, uh, working with them. So like, I didn't have to deal with, you know, I did have some communication with the printer, but I didn't, I wasn't dealing with like, like, I have no idea what this costs to produce. I have no, mm -hmm. I didn't have any insight into that. I was just like, mm -hmm. here's what we should do. And then they would help figure out you know, who's the best vendor was. Yeah. And, you know, we did a lot of like samples back and forth, but this was printed, I believe in Minneapolis. Um, and uh, I, you know, I wasn't on a final press check for this because mm -hmm. it was digital. Like I had seen the guts, I had seen the foil stamped. I, we had done, you know, dummy mock-ups. Um, yeah. I'd sort of seen that. all the pieces of it, but I'd never, I hadn't seen it all kind of put together. So it was just as an interesting, just in a very different sort of like way, process yeah. way of working from one book to the other. Yeah. So the other thought that I kind of wanted to just sort of start wrapping this one up with is that these, you know, during this episode, we've talked about, you know, the Parker Institute, which is you know, very, which is kind of like a tech company. It's kind of in that, you know, science techie kind of world. I mean, um, certainly their their DNA because of Sean is like very much operate, you know, that kind of like tech. Definitely. And then your time at Facebook and the analog lab and things you created there. And then this book for Airbnb, another like tech company, essentially. So these tech tech companies producing print and that's surprising to a lot of people. Why do you think that? it's beneficial and so impactful for tech companies to produce tangible things as well. I mean, again, this goes back to like, um, you know, kind of what we were talking about earlier where it's like, it's, it's, uh, it's a signal, uh, you know, going back to what I was saying earlier, like the value that's sort of inherent in like, because it takes the time and resources and energy that. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, um, 
by by taking this you know this information and putting it into this form, uh, it's a signal of its importance. It's a signal yeah. of its value. Mm-hmm. It also is like this um, you know it's a finite container of this story of this information. It's this like yes. that one of the things that I think have been thinking about a lot is that design is essentially this function of compression. Um, and so, you know, if you think about like compression on your computer, right, you like take the file size and you, you know, zip it and it like makes it smaller. Um, and so design is like, okay, I had, you know, they, they had hundreds, hundreds of photos that I could possibly choose to, to put in this book. I had to like narrow it down. So it's all this, like, how do we come, you know, compress this into like the essential sort of like story and so, and then by putting it into this like container that has that sort of durability um, and it, and signals like, because of the value, you know, the, the resources that went into like producing it, it is this like signal that, Hey, this is worth your attention. Yes. Um, and so I think that uh, not all tech companies and, and I don't, I mean, I think that I see the, the, the sort of like move to, um, you know, most, most information being, uh, distributed digitally mm-hmm. just sort of like enhances, um, that sort of signal. It, 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 it makes it, it makes, you know, these sort of like peaks like stand out even more when you do commit something, it's a high, it's an even higher signal of, of its importance than it was previously. Yeah. And, and I think that you need to be really thoughtful about like, when is it appropriate? It's not always appropriate to do this. Um, And it's not, and it's, you know, digital, digital communication is fantastic for many, many reasons. um, And, and far more efficient, less costly, you know, in terms of its impact on the environment and all these kinds of things. Um, But there are, there is a time and a place uh, to, 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 to do this kind of thing. Agree. A time and a place. And what what I've seen in the print industry and the way that it's gone is, you know, even five or six years ago, you had, if you were a company that sold products, you were printing a bunch of catalogs to send to all of your customers that had all of your products in it with all of the prices and you were sending that to your customers. Well, now it's transitioned to that piece is online. You can look that up online. It's now a searchable database. But what I am going to send you is this experience piece. There's yeah. something that's a little bit more bespoke, a little bit fancier, shorter yeah. runs, you know, things that are going to get your attention and brand recognition pieces that send you to that online resource where we're going to make those sales. Yeah. You know, that's been the transition where people are creating experience pieces and brand books rather than full on catalogs showcasing products. Which is great. I mean, you do that, you can yeah. do that less frequently. You know, you're not doing it quarterly or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, one of the ones I think it's, I think, I don't know what the current state is because they're sort of like transitioning, but one of the things that comes to mind, uh, in recent years, are you familiar with best made co? No, uh, Peter, Peter Buchanan Smith, he's okay. now, he since sold it and now he's sort of left. And so I'm, I have, you know, some concern that they're, you know, that it's not gonna, um, that they're not going to sort of retain this because they've already kind of like shut down. It seems like they've shut down the website and moved everything to this other, uh, you know, sort of um, uh, under the umbrella. Anyway, they would, uh, did, did you ever see those axes with like the colored handles? 
where they're like beautifully painted. Anyway, they were, it was like a big thing like 10 years ago. Okay. Anyway, best made co, you know, beautiful products, um, that they designed and he did all these like really cool collaborations like with Gerstner tool chests and stuff like that. Anyway, they would do these like beautiful catalogs where they would like go to, you know, South America or Japan and like do these photos, photo shoots specifically for like an issue of the catalog. And they, you know, they would highlight some products, you know, in there, but like you were saying, it was more about telling the sort of like story of this journey and most of the stuff, you know, you could go see all this products online. Mm -hmm. Um, like I said, because they kind of got bought and I don't know, I really know the state. It doesn't really seem like that's going to continue, but, uh, we'll see. Yeah. That's the way to do things right now. And what, what COVID has done to print is it's, you know, everybody is so digital and screen-based now and zoom meetings and all of these things like that just was heightened last year and still is that the attention that is paid to something tangible, a direct mail piece, a catalog, things like that is so much higher now because of that, almost that digital fatigue. It's like a nice little surprise when you get something print that's unique. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 interesting. Print is uh, print is not dying. It's definitely evolving and turning into more of an experiential thing rather than a just printed stuff. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's going from it's this transition from like it being the primary sort of like mass market medium to communicate anything, mm-hmm. and so there you know there will be less demand for like printers and and you know print based designers, but it will never. I don't know that it'll ever go away. It'll just become, you know, this kind of like increasing, like kind of like bespoke thing mm-hmm. that they're like, you know, you know, if you think about it as this like graph, right? Like you, like I'm saying, it's like these peaks. If like most of the information is digital. And so it's this like, you know, background noise. What are the things that are going to like stand out? Yeah. Um, Print baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is, Ben. <laughs> Awesome, man. This has been incredible diving into these books. I'm going to wrap this up here for you, Ben. I've used up enough of your time here. Um, Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to share these projects with us, what went into them and the story behind them. It's been incredible. Thank you. Yeah. It's always always, uh, fun to chat about these kinds of things. All right. That is it for today's episode, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I told you this episode was absolute dynamite. Uh, head over to our Instagram to see photos of these pieces and we posting those on Tuesday and Wednesday this coming week um, because the visuals just bring this all to life. You hear about how it was created in this episode and then boom, you see the visuals on Instagram. That's it, guys. If you are digging what you're hearing here on the Print Design Podcast, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening, and leave a rating and a review. Let us know what you think. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.